Episode 601, we enter the dog days summer. What's going on? It's been a dead market, right? It's been super dead, but there's been some signs of life on the ocean. Craig Fuller tweeted this over the weekend. Show this tweet right here. He says, some signs of life, right? Container imports bound for the U.S. at the point of booking showing signs of life. Causes, though, could it be a head fake? B, could it be peak ordering has shifted earlier this year? C, retailers enjoying strong dollar and taking advantage? Or D, retailers have destocked and are replenishing with fresh inventory? And this is a nice little run-up here, right? However, however, could be temporary. Could be number B. Let's take a look at bookings, right? Bookings at origin to see what the data is saying. Henry Byers reports, while this high may at first glance appear to be an upward trend, uh, demand upon further examination of this index, it shows actually signaling that the peak of peak season may have already happened. Why is that? Well, what we're looking at in this chart is demand bookings at origin. Other charts showing us what's coming in, right? The volume that's coming in. This is what's happening overseas, though. And as you can see, that line is going downwards, which is not a great sign. The good sign for shippers is that this also increases the likelihood, though, that spot rates are going to break through some of their lows. So we need to be mindful of that. On Wednesday, we're going to have Henry Byers on the show to break it down for us. But Ryan Peterson says, let's see how Prime Day goes next week. Then we'll know if brands need to order aggressively for the holidays or not. I've been out doing some channel checks on that, too, seeing how some of the retailers I know think they're going to do during Prime Day. And they're getting a little bit nervous. However, here's something we haven't seen in a long time. Since the shipping crisis, we haven't looked at a vessel map. There's over 20 ships waiting off Canadian ports as dock workers strike drags on. Greg Miller reports Canada's two largest Pacific ports. Vancouver and Prince Rupert remained at a standstill Sunday as a strike by Port Worker Union passes the one-week mark. Ships are beginning to pile up at Anchorage, and rail operations serving the U.S. have effectively been halted. Big issue over there with pay. Uh, the British Columbia Maritime Employees Association, they claim Thursday the strike is having disastrous impacts. It's going to cost four point, there's $4.6 billion in cargo attached to the strike that began on July 1st. However, the ILWU, that's the union representing the longshoremen and warehouse workers, they said that the BCMEA has launched a smear campaign targeting their own workers. Their president, Robert Ashton, he said that they're funding a dirty tricks media campaign using a non sources to selectively leak misleading information to reporters. Um, yeah. So you look at that chart, a lot of headwinds going on. You get this big strike. This could bleed down onto the West Coast of the United States. Some of that import volume that we saw on that first chart could be from diversions to Canada. And when we're looking in LTL, we've also got a lot of headwinds there too. Yellow on the verge of bankruptcy talking about strike. T-Force talking about strike. UPS potential strike. So July usually boring, things usually coming down, but this month is going to be hot. 
and we got a big show, and we're going to start talking about it. On deck, we uh, with the UPS strike looming on the horizon, shippers need to scramble to secure contingency plans. Jay Silvey is vice president of partnerships and alliances over at OneRail. He lets us know what to do if the worst happens. Plus, he'll get us up to date on all the latest file mile trends and how they've changed since that shipping crisis. It's a, it's a world in flux here in freight. It's fourth and inches for some brokers in the market. Former Chicago Bears great Desmond Clark tells us how his bear down logistics is leading in this down market. Um, ever wonder what the, how the fastener supply chain works? I got John Oldham Jr. He's a global logistics manager at Fleet Fastener. He's going to get bolted down with the ins and outs of securement hardware. Plus, what kind of truck to buy? Tesla Autopilot versus Semi. How not to load cans? And weekend dad energy. I know I got plenty of that. Before we get to John, let's tip the band here. Uh, what, this episode of What the Truck is sponsored by Last Mile Delivery Leader Freight. When you need the best Last Mile drivers and vehicles, look to Freight. Sign up and get your first three deliveries free, up to $300. Go to Freight.com and use the code FIRST3FREE. That's F-R-A-Y-T.com. Check them out. But now, let's check out John Oldham Jr., Global Logistics Manager over at Field Fastener. And I like his environment. What's going on, John? Hey, how's it going? What up? Who's hanging out behind you with the, with the nice bling on, with the chain? That's uh, that's Larry. He's uh, one of our old. Uh, he retired from from here. He's our operations guy. So uh, keep him around, even though he's retired. Well, so what do you need to do to get yourself uh, immortalized in a stand-up like that? Um, customer service. It's all about customer service. Taking care of your customers, and you know he's a legend now. You know, there's people that come through. They they have no idea who Larry is, but he lives on. Yeah, well, John, how did you like Cleveland? Last time I saw you, you're having your, the time of your life at a party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We got a few pictures of it here. Did you have a, did you have a good time? You make some good connections? Oh, yeah, Cleveland was awesome. Uh, made some good connections, saw some, some good demos, um, had a good time. The, the JB Hunt party was amazing, so had a, had a great time. Did you get inside the museum at all? Did you have a, a favorite thing you saw in there? Um... I liked a lot of the Jimi Hendrix stuff. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was. I ended up getting, I'm a pinhead, so I ended up getting distracted by the pinball. So I spent a, a lot of time uh, with that. But hey, people who aren't familiar, and I wasn't that familiar, and I met you at the party, and you were telling me all about the, the fastener supply chain. I thought it was fascinating. So let's start there. What is Field Fastener? Field Fastener is a global fastener supplier um really focus on fastening solutions and um cost reduction through engineering and we talk about fasteners you're talking about like what like bolts securement uh, hardware those kind of things what kind of what kind of goods are you moving through this supply chain um so yeah nuts bolts screws rivets uh, you know a lot of our customers are oem manufacturers of hvac rail transportation uh, anything as as little as a uh, a thermostat and anything as big as a a rail car. So, how do fastener supply chains work? It sounds like you'd have a lot of a lot of skews in this place and a lot of screws <laughs> to keep track of. Yes, there's there's a ton of them. Uh, everything that that we bring in is specific to a customer's need, and um, we our our approach is we want to handle the entire fastener supply chain for our customers. So. Um, obviously data, um, forecasting is very important in that process. Um, but our, our goal is let us go in, 
let us focus on the fasteners. You worry about the, the bigger commodities. Um, we'll take care of your fasteners and your fastener supply chain. We'll, we'll manage it, vendor managed inventory, um, and we'll help you find some cost savings along the way. Where, where are most fasteners getting uh, procured from? Where do they come from? Uh, still a lot in Asia, um, Taiwan, China. Uh, there's, there's some emerging countries coming, but uh, still a lot there. Um, I'd say the U.S. as well. We we try to keep a, a good blend of that um, to to make sure that we're we're supporting the the U.S. suppliers as well. In terms of ocean freight, how many cans are you dealing with? How many um, containers you bring in a year? Uh, about three hundred and fifty a year. Not not crazy amount. Um, we we do a lot of direct imports, and then we also buy domestically some of the imported product as well. When you're uh, when you're looking at like let's start with ocean when you're looking at a crazy market as it's been it's what I started the show talking about and the rise in imports but we've been in this freight recession it's been a really weird weird economy and you know we saw container rates go from twenty thousand dollars back down to twelve hundred bucks how have you managed booking ocean freight through this time and making sure you stay ahead of it with these rapidly fluctuating prices. You know, a lot for us, you know, pre-COVID, things were a lot different. I think, you know, you you seen a lot of where people were working with one, you know, one ocean carrier, one partner. And uh, in today's environment, you know, post-COVID, you've got to have a couple different options there. And you got to um, make sure you have the, the, the sources that can get you the capacity uh, you need. Um, and along with making sure, you know, that the... The rates are what they are, and, and that you're not seeing any of that uh, rate gouging that we may have seen when these get time. When these get to the U.S., are, are you dealing with a lot of? I mean, these sound small. Are you getting? Are you dealing with a lot of LTL? Uh, we do quite a bit of LTL um, as well. Yeah, LTLs uh, definitely. You know, part of what we do is it's it's vendor managed inventory. So, you know, wherever our uh, centers of excellence are, those are distribution centers. You know, finding the most optimal way to get that product to, to either our facilities or to our customers' facilities is uh, critical. Any of this uh, yellow talk and UPS talk have you a little nervous about what may be coming in August and yes. and, and September? Yeah, actually, that's a big part of, uh, you know, what our focus right now is on, you know, what's what's going to happen here, you know, you know, with all these labor um agreements that are kind of being in the works so um you know uh you got the vancouver challenge you've got the 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 yellow challenge and then you've got the uh the ups one so there's a lot of it there uh you know my my role is to to kind of you know stay focused on that and and continue to work with the you know industry experts to make sure that we keep our supply chain moving and that we're we're making the the best educated decisions we can um and not get too comfortable during these challenging times. What are the challenges right now? What are your customers, what are the issues that they're facing, especially during a freight recession? Because they have a little bit different perspective than, than we do, like on the trucking side. Yeah, I, you know, capacity continues to be a challenge. Um, you know, for me, it's more the, you know, the, like these labor things. I, you're not thinking about those necessarily, right? Things are running as far as you know, normal, but in, in a matter of a, you know, a blink of an eye, things could change dramatically. So if you're not thinking about that and preparing for it, 
you know, you could put yourself in a really bad situation. So, you know, it's important to keep our customers abreast of those situations. As their vendor-managed supplier, I have to make sure that those types of things do not impact our supply chain and also our customer supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I imagine communication's got to be really important right now because you don't want to cry wolf, but there are these potential huge crises, huge market catalysts that could happen. Yeah, everything's dragging down now, but we're a strike away at the ports from big vessel maps being everywhere, big congestion. You're already seeing it up in Canada, and we're, we're a strike away. I mean, we haven't had a UPS strike since 1997, John. That's It's crazy, but, you know, you... You can't get comfortable. I mean, we've seen it here in Vancouver, right? I mean, it's it can happen, you know. So that's the thing is, you know, if if you're not prepared, you know, what I do not want to be in a situation where I have 20 vessels off the court of off the port of Vancouver, and I've got customers looking for product that I can't get because I wasn't abreast of the the situation unfolding. Are you seeing any shortages still in the market, especially on your thing on fastener? I mean, if you don't have a certain bolt or something, someone can't finish a, a project, then it's not the most visible thing to most people, right? You kind of operate in this uh, a little bit of an under realm, and people who know fasteners would understand that, but I, I don't think your average person is thinking of fastener supply chains. Yeah, the big thing is just just being aware of the, you know, the, the usage, uh, you know, so we talk about data and, and you know, data being data driven, but our, you know, a lot of what we're ordering and bringing in is based off of our customer forecasting, our customer usage. So um, I think early on, a lot of those numbers could have potentially been overstated. Um, and now as the, the, the fast, as the ocean freight is kind of leveled out and transit times are dramatically improved, uh, I think there's still the challenge of um, a lot of people have overstock of, of products. So now you're going to have, do you have the right product at the right time? You've got product that's been sitting on the shelf for quite some time because overstated inventory, but you're also going to have the the opposite effect. So, and lead times overseas are still pretty high. So you got to make sure that you're getting those orders in ahead of time to, to support that as well. Yeah, you're kind of damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like in, in ocean freight, for example, the congestion slowed you down, but now that's been unwound because rates dropped so quickly. All these steamship lines are blank sailing and slow steaming ships. So you had to wait before because it took forever to load the ship. Now you have to wait before because they're just going as slow as they can here to tie up capacity as long as they can. And um, they're not having that great of an impact holding holding that strong. When you th- when you look, one thing we're curious about as we look into the fall is ordering and replenishment cycles. Do you think a lot of inventories are right size now, at least in the fastener side? Or do you see a lot of replenishment coming or, or, or is it is it all over the place? I think we're getting closer to that, um, but it's it's I still I still think probably you know Q4 uh, we're we're gonna still see some of that uh, where where it's not so Q1 of uh, 2024 I'm hoping that things are kind of right sized. How did you get into the uh, fastener space? Lifelong um, dream as a started- teenager. <laughs> So I, I I landed here in uh, Rockford, Illinois, by by accident actually. And uh, 18 years ago, my my first role here, um, uh, my first job really, as I, I I landed here in Rockford, was here at Field Fastener. So uh, 
over the last 18 years, I've had the opportunity to just do everything possible on the, the operation side. So picking, packing, shipping, um, implementations, uh, integrations, setting up locations in Mexico, new customers, uh, you name it. But, you know, what we really saw was right on, on the shipping side, there there was an, a need to support transportation and to make sure that we we have a, a good base for transportation in the future. So, you know, this is going back 14, 15 years ago. We knew that we had to be in a good position with transportation as our organization continued to grow. So there was a strategic focus on that. Um, which allowed me to really uh, hone in on the logistics side. And, and now, you know, it's a worldwide company and we've got, you know, locations in Taiwan and Mexico and um, all over North America. And it's allowed uh, me really to, to help support the organization and build partnerships that we could find solutions for whatever we need um, logistically. Let me ask you this about uh, about so you said eighteen years, right? What is what's something fascinating about fasteners that your average person wouldn't know? Um, well, interesting fact would be you know how hard they are to carry onto a plane if you ever have to hand carry something. I mean, I've I've again field is committed. Our mission statement is to to everyone that we interact with to love us. So, you know, we'll go above and beyond and do whatever it takes. So I myself and and I've also thrown my wife on a plane once or twice to uh, to to hand carry fasteners to get them to our customer on time. So you want to talk about uh, having to kind of finesse TSA and make sure that they they know exactly what you're bringing 50 pounds of screws on a on an airplane it's <laughs> they think they're like yeah it kind of every time i bring the cowbell through tsa they make me bring it out too and every time they do they make like a more cowbell joke which makes me think that there must that must be like in their manual for when, when yeah, they bring this out yeah i've actually got my cowboy here too so oh, oh, you hit that for us because you got a fundraiser announced so ring the cowbell for this fundraiser that sounds beautiful. I'll join it. Just cacophony. Yeah, show us what's going on there here. Go. What's the night at the museum? And are you going to dress like Ben Stiller at this thing? Oh, I wish I was. I actually, I'm going to be in. A, I'll be at our Columbus location, Columbus, Ohio location, the week this is going on. But um, GG's Playhouse is a Down Syndrome uh, Achievement Center, so they help you know um, people with Down Syndrome really, uh, you know, educate provide career development and encourage uh, exercising and healthy habits and teaching them so much more. So uh, field is very big on, on fundraisers and, and really uh, supporting the communities that we're based in. So GG's is our, our um, charity of choice for this event. Uh, we've got a museum, local museum here called the Burpee Museum. Uh, it's going to be a huge event, tons of silent auctions and DJ dancing all for a good cause to, to raise some money for GG's. Well, hey, a little cowbell for you and your team for doing that. Thank you for being the fastener goat. Yeah, you got to ring yours too. Look, if people want to connect with you, they want to connect with uh, they want to connect with the company. Who do I send them to? Uh, they could find me at uh, my my LinkedIn or at uh, John O at Uh and 
Again, Field Fastener, our website, fieldfastener.com as well. Stop on by. Uh, we'd, we'd love to, to talk fasteners. Thank you so much for stopping by the show today. I really appreciate it. Take care. Have a good one, brother. And tell Desmond, go Bears. Okay, I will. I'm going to ask him if he's got flashback. Right. We were very close to uh, the Brown Stadium when we were at that event. I got to see if he was getting any flashbacks. Uh, uh, who did he play? Uh, clearly, like, who did he play against? Like, Jeff, they had so many quarterbacks, the, the, the Browns, yeah. during his 12-year run. He played like everyone from Jeff Garcia to Kelly Holcomb, I think. Yes, sir. Go Bears. All right, man. I'll let you go. Take care. All right. All right, everybody. You, Take care. Meanwhile, you guys, you guys think we should have this event at F3 right here in Chattanooga? We could put that in Coolidge Park. Put uh, Jay and John, Jay Silva and John in some of these things. I'll be the bull. We'll get a real bull. I think that might be edited. I mean, that guy landed all the way in the stands. I don't know if a bull could really look at him. I don't know if a bull could really orbit you. And if it did, you'd break, you'd like shatter your legs. I don't know. Can that be comfortable? Jay Silva, Vice President of Partnerships and Alliances at One World. Jay, have you ever done anything like that? Uh, close to it, but but uh, nothing, you know, that extreme. Well, well, what what did you do that was pretty close to that? I'd like to know now. You know, it wasn't anything like wheelbarrow racing down the hallway at freight waves, but, um, <laughs> you know, I have been those, uh, those balls and ran full speed at one another and, you know, uh, collided. So, dude, I saw you. So I saw you in Cleveland and, and you're always great to see out. Anyone, anyone will tell you this because you always, you always got like that. You're very approachable. You got this big smile and you're always just like throw your hand on someone's shoulder and be like, hey, hey, it's Jay. Hey, it's Jay. And like you'll talk if someone has time. If they don't, you don't take up too much. You're like the perfect conference run into person. Well, I appreciate that, man. I just got off a tour of them. So I, I had three weeks in a row. And so, uh, you know, I'm becoming a, a, a professional at them, if, if that's such a thing. What's your survival tip? I get, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I get a little overwhelmed with them. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to follow up. And I wish I was a little bit better. Yeah. So uh, from the booth side of things, you know, it, it, I have to write everything down. I realize that whether I record it on my phone, but as soon as somebody leaves the booth, I have to either write it or say it on my phone, or I'm forgetting it, right? So follow-up's key. Uh, and then as far as being overwhelmed and, and just taking it all in, you know, pace yourself. That's the biggest thing, too. You know, uh, some people, you know, uh, might partake in, in the happy hours too hard the first first night, uh, but it's a long, you know, two or three days. You're on your feet all day, wear comfortable shoes, of course, um, you know, and and just enjoy it. I got to say, we, we lucked out, too. It's, it's very lucky if you have an event happening where there's, like, especially baseball. A major league team like baseball, they're like the games aren't yep. too cost prohibitive to go to, so you don't feel like you have to stay there for the entire game, although, like, most people did. And you could go right over, and you get, like, three hours to just hang out with whatever clients you bring or anything in a pretty good environment that's not too loud. Big bonus to baseball at conferences on my end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite things about it is just the the – camaraderie and everyone wanting to share tips talk about the industry you know before covid you kind of had this this my solution is my solution you know stay in your booth now post covid not every not one solution has has all the answers so it's how do we share data right how do we turn this data into intelligent insights how do we uh create more stickiness in our products so there's a lot of collaboration going on a lot of good conversations so i really enjoy the conferences uh post covid yeah, I, you know that that 
like the post freight tech environment or the post pandemic freight tech environment. I have to agree with you. I think it's been a lot about partnerships and, you know, it might be because it's harder to raise capital. So some companies have to join together, but the cycle of freight tech, the cycle of anything, some of these partnerships need to happen anyway. Data is getting too siloed. It's mature enough that shippers are expecting certain things. And it's up to all of us, you know, as vendors to figure that out for them. But, you know, I was looking at some of your posts uh, and especially some of OneRail's posts and you guys are gearing your shippers up for uh, the storm that could be coming in August with this UPS strike, and then we got this yellow bankruptcy going on, T-Force talking. So there's a lot of issues that could be going on in Final Mile, in rail, in intermodal. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that right now? And I have a lot of thoughts, right? It, I mean, what an exciting time to, to be in the last mile space, right? And, and a great time to be a one rail. Uh, so, you, you know, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about the multi-source strategy. And actually, FreightWaves put out a good article last week about multi-source and not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? So I think this is just uh, one use case, not necessarily UPS strike, but this is just one use case that shippers should be able to diversify, and like I said, not putting all their eggs in one basket. You know, we have a platform where uh, we aggregate carriers and allowing our shifters, our shippers uh, to have more optionality uh, and adopt a multi-source strategy. Now, capacity is finite, right? There's only so much. And you take a massive, mm-hmm. massive player like UPS yeah. out, of the, out of the fray. Where does that go? How, how, how does that get picked up? And this is also why we're putting some urgency in people's people's minds, because you have to start thinking about this now. Don't wait until like July 28th to realize that your LTL screwed in August. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, so we stand ready to, to help shippers solve the threat of the UPS strike. You know, the 31st is approaching. Um, we, like I said, we have an aggregated largest connected delivery network of, uh, it's it's growing, right? We grow every, way, every, every week. We have uh, 3 million deliveries a month across all modes. We're in 350 cities. Um, we have the largest, uh, about 12 million drivers uh, in our network, right? So it's about optionality. It's about exploring outside of UPS. Like I said, if you're not diversifying your strategy, you're going to be left behind. Uh, so there's a lot of good platforms out there. And uh, that's just one example. Are there are there real issues over in Indiana? There was Chevy was saying, I read an article recently, and a lot of people commented on it. And the article that I, I shared, I didn't write this article, it was about a bunch of Silverados. Like, I think it's in Indiana, and they can't... They're saying they can't move them because there's not the rail capacity or they don't have the rail allotments because they have more trucks than they thought they did. But I'm also looking at like inventory reports and things like that from dealers. So I'm not sure if Chevy, Chevy's being 100 percent here. Are there rail capacity issues right now? You know, in the rail space, I'm not too sure. Uh, there seems to be capacity issues uh, across all modes, right? Yeah. Um, as we focus just on the last leg of, of delivery, whether that's to the, the consumer or to the business, you know, it's just the last leg. But capacity seems to be a problem across, you know, driver shortages, um, employment shortages, like it's across all modes right now. Well, we got Prime Day tomorrow and the next day. I know a lot of retailers, a lot of them have been saying, you know how we've been talking about trucking has been a bloodbath. A lot of retailers have been talking about e-commerce retailers have been talking about how it's been a sales bloodbath, especially the guys I knew who were selling things like stuffed animals and just non-necessary products. Like, man, this stuff is just sitting. I don't know what to do. They said, you know, Amazon's getting increasingly difficult to deal with. And then they got Prime Day right here. And Prime Day, as Ryan Peterson from Flexport said, is going to be a good indicator of if retailers, their psyche, if they need to do replenishment cycles, which we need them to do on freight so that we we can have some freight moving. Yes, absolutely. 
Couldn't you, agree more. But do you think we're going to have a good prime day? Like, what, what, are, what are you seeing out there? You know, like I said, it all depends on how this shakes out. Um, but, you know, I think shippers are willing to pay higher rates to ensure that their shipments arrive on time and in good condition, right? So they're they're getting ready for that that prime day. Um, carriers are starting to get smarter. They're starting to leverage technology out there to optimize their wet networks and improve efficiency, right? And which helps boost profitability. Uh, so the LTL industry, it's increasing importance to, to leverage technology. So I hope everybody's gearing up for it. And I think it will be a high volume day. I hope so. I hope so. Well, I, you know, I, they had like the early deals like two weeks ago and I got my kids some tablets, so I might not even get anything on prime day, but you already got a little money from Amazon, but okay. Define something for me. What does optimizing final mile mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, to me, it's maximizing efficiency and improving customer satisfaction during the last leg of the shipment. Uh, like I said earlier, whether that's to the end consumer or business. Uh, so we orchestrate the delivery. Uh, you hear, hear uh, Bill Catania, our CEO and founder, he's always talking about uh, the triangulation between inventory, transportation, and the consumer. So where's the inventory at? How do we get it there? And how do we give the customer the best experience, right? That is what we think about every day. We wake up and we think about how to optimize that tr triangulation uh, and how do we make it a good experience? Interesting. Well, how about the other end of it? The, the reverse logistics part, the return mile, because the costs on that over Christmas, the returns were insane. I think it was up like 57% or something like that. And we're talking multi-billion dollars. So when we're talking about optimizing a network, one of the big areas they want to do that is on two points, right? It's like with, with smart lock lockers, things like that to make the delivery side a little bit easier. And the return points that make things easier as well. What are you seeing with the trends there? Yeah, you, you definitely know that. Uh, so the the rise of smart lockers, right? The the connection points and in, in leveraging technology, right? Management software that that's matching or instantly finding the right vehicle for the right delivery, so uh, customers can gain efficiencies and lower prices and greater capacity, right? Um, I, I think you know that though. With the, the advancement of smart lockers and in, in technology, it, it's as simple as that. Well, people who want to learn more about OneRail, they want to connect with you. Where do I send them to? Yeah, they can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, OneRail has a good LinkedIn page. Uh, we're, we're always open. You know, OneRail has, uh, even though we're growing, one of the fastest growing companies, uh, we have a very good family feel um, environment. So you could reach out to any of us at any time. Uh, feel free. Email us. Great. Jay, Jay, thanks for coming on the show, man. I'll, I'll see you out there on the battlefield. Thanks for having me, man. We'll see you down the road the next conference. Take it easy. All right. Let's tip the band here. This episode of What the Truck is sponsored by Last Mile Delivery Leader Freight. When you need the best last mile drivers and vehicles, look to Freight. Sign up and get your first three deliveries free, up to $300. Go to Freight.com and use the code FIRST3FREE. That's F-R-A-Y-T dot com. All right, elsewhere. This is frightening. Future of war. Current reality of war. This is an Israeli company. They developed a type of miniature suicide drone. And, uh, Systems presents this isn't Robocop. This is still what the truck. These, this is uh, something that they're selling. This is their sizzle video. See what happens. Lanius is equipped with AI technologies that allows navigation to building, scanning the building to identify openings, scanning and mapping, object avoidance, enemy detection and classification. Target incrimination by human and lethality. 
the system indemnifies blocked openings and can perform ad hoc lethal ambush. What do you think scarier, the dogs, the that robot is, dogs, or these? Search things? and attack in one. I gotta go with those. Those are frightening. Desmond Clark, president of Bear Down Logistics, is here. The uh, Browns could have used some drones inside their footballs. They may have completed some more uh, passes against your Bears back in the day. No, they they did just fine. <laughs> <laughs> were you getting so we were I saw you in Cleveland and we were right by the Browns oh the Browns Stadium were you getting any flashbacks were you looking for like uh you for 12 years they had a lot of quarterbacks during your your tenure at the Bears so like were you so, getting Kelly Holt I think, I think that's where we could compete the most at right there who had the most quarterbacks <laughs> in those 12 years of me being at NFL Chicago Bears or the Cleveland Browns do that research and come back to me it's it'll be a tight race is it that tight because because the it doesn't seem like the Bears had – I mean, the Browns had anybody stable. At least you had Sexy Rexy for a little while. We had Sexy Rexy for like two and a half years. That's true. Yeah. It seemed so longer. 2003 was his first year. He, he got hurt 2003, 2004. He came back 2005, 2006. He had the Super Bowl year. And then 2007 was like the end for Rex. Yeah. Poor Rex, man. So it, it, it didn't last day. too long. No, it didn't. It didn't. Well, how about you guys? You're trying to be in here. You're trying to build your own dynasty. You're trying to build your own franchise. You came in in. Uh, you came in recently. If you came in like 2021, it would have been like it would have been like in Madden. It would have been on rookie mode. But now you're playing on all Madden in 2023. <laughs> you had a great conversation. Speaking of our event, and you were talking about some of the trouble of building a brokerage and fighting through. And you know, it's it's fourth and inches, and we're going for it. Tell me a little bit about that. What's the market like right now? And how's Bear Down? Yeah, so we can't worry about the market. The market is tough. Everybody knows that, right? But it's what, what are you going to do? I can't change the market. I can't go out and make everybody all of a sudden start shipping more and coming to me and bringing me all, all their freight. Here's what, here's what we, we tap into. We tap into understanding how to win. And you win by the definition of win is to gain or to succeed by struggle. And it's by that struggle that you win. So whatever this struggle is that we're going through right now, the ups and downs of the industry, everybody has to go through it. But the people who are going to win are the people who get into that struggle, lean into it, understand it, figure it out, and do the best that they can with it. And that's what we're doing here at Bear Down Logistics. Adversity is a great teacher. What's the hardest lesson you've, you've learned through it so far? I mean, you came from the world of football. You knew all about that. Now you're like, trucking is a whole new team to play against. It is, man. And you know what? It's, it's almost like going out to practice every single day and doing the same drills over and over and over. So I, I have a new I have a new um, agent and I keep telling him like the struggle now is making those phone calls. And he made like 98 phone calls the other day and he only got two people to answer the call. But I said, that's the struggle. That's where you're going to win. You got to keep doing those calls every single day and it's going to land somewhere. You got to land one and you got to be prepared for it. That was my hardest lesson when I got into it uh, early. My, my second biggest hardest lesson, or maybe the first one because I lost the most money doing this, is the hiring process and, and understanding, matching my vision up to somebody else's vision and making sure that 
they actually stand for what they say they stand for. You know, I lost a lot of money earlier this year by hiring too many people too early. And um, those are the two biggest lessons that I learned so far um, by being a freight broker over the last year and, and a couple months. Are you making some cold calls yourself? You haven't you come across any rude customers on the other other end of that line? <laughs> no, not ever. <laughs> Everybody's so nice. They want to talk to you. They want to give you all the knowledge. They want to tell you, hey, this is how, man, like literally my first three or four months of doing this was the dog days of logistics, man. And you know all about this. And I didn't have anybody there I did. I had Brian. I had my guy Brian from Dre Depot to pick me up and to keep me going. And now that I get to be on the other side of and I have agents that that I'm working with, I want to be that person that helps pick them up, helps keep them going. And not just them. You know, now I've started doing all of this podcast and stuff that you're doing. Thanks for inspiring me (laughs) to do something like this. And I want to help other people get through those dog days because it's going to be a lot of them. But the payoff is sweet. Tell me about this, because you started this new show in the huddle. Would love to promote it. When did you launch the show? And uh, tell us uh, tell us what you can find out about it. Yeah, I launched the show uh, at the beginning of June, actually. So we've only been doing it for a little over a month, but it's going well. Um, and really, this is this is all about my passion to help people. Uh, I was just talking earlier today about I always keep my purpose statement nearby, and my purpose statement is with excellence being the standard. You know. I want to help people live the best lives that they possibly can. And now I have this 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 platform from being a former professional football player now to being in logistics that I could extend that to so many different people um, that work here with me. And that's just in the industry as a whole. So the purpose of um, in the huddle with Bear Down Logistics is to bring people like you that have this this vast amount of knowledge that maybe they don't have access to. And now I can I can download all of this knowledge from these experts and help people get better at this, you know, this wonderful job, this wonderful career of logistics. I really believe like logistics is the most important industry in the world because without it, the world stops. Just think about that for a minute. It stops. So what we do is so important and I want people to be successful and I want people to win. So uh, that's the purpose behind uh, bringing in the huddle to the airwaves. You know, there's a lot of logistics involved with like the NFL itself, just making sure players get the games and all the concessions and everything. Did you think much about logistics though? Or like, does the average player think much about logistics? It no. It seems like something you put much thought into. No, um, no. Like we just get to the locker room and it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's thinking about, Man, all of those trucks. Think of I think about the production that goes on for like CBS and NBC and ESPN. The one thing that I did notice when you pull up in those stadiums, especially like on a Sunday night game or a Monday night game, it's like five, six, seven different semis, uh, 53-foot trailers in there with all kind of equipment. And that's just for the telecast. So there is a big production. And with the teams, I know now because I went back to the Chicago Bears, Chicago Bears, y'all never called me back. And you know who I'm talking to, um, to see, can I get their uh, logistics, uh, all, all of their shipping? Um, and they told me they, they have two trucks on hand every single day, two, two 53 foot trailers and also a, a box truck. And they're loading up stuff day by day as the days go. So it's a full-time endeavor for those those guys that's doing it for those teams if they do it like the Chicago Bears. I had no idea how much 
uh, logistics went into moving a team around and keeping the team prepared to play. Oh, yeah. A lot of live events, especially big, big production events, they'll even have a ghost truck. So they have a driver on staff who just follows everybody. He leaves last and he just follows. And his only job is if you break down, I can put the footballs in my truck or I can get the popcorn in the truck. I get the uniforms in the truck. And you make sure you don't have that situation in the Super Bowl where like Thurman Thomas couldn't find his helmet. Oh, what was that? A, was I didn't that know was like, that. That was a long time. I was like 1991, but Thurman Thomas, he couldn't play the first series against the Cowboys because he couldn't find his own helmet. Some people are saying this backup hid it on him. That that's a good move on the backup. I can respect that. It's a, it's a Super Bowl too. So hey, I get to start in the Super Bowl because Thurman, Thurman Thomas couldn't find his helmet. That's a savvy. That's a savvy move. I guarantee you that if the backup did that, he was not a rookie. Sure. Because rookies yeah. one thing like that. Yeah, they'd be too worried about getting cut or something like that. So what, what's harder? <laughs> what, what's like, so, I mean, football comes kind of naturally to you. you. You know, you play it in, uh, you played in college and high school and everything, right? You're not one of those guys right. who, like, just as a senior, you, you appeared out of nowhere. No. So that's, that's, that's the tight end story for some tight ends. Like, they played basketball yeah. all throughout their career. They wasn't going to make it to the NBA. So I'm just going to try tight end. You know what, Dooner? I used to hate when they used to bring those freaking guys in. And, and have them try out. And I would be looking outside the window and they they sucked. It's only a few people that can do that. But I just looked at it like so I, I would look at it like like what I'm doing now. All right. Bring somebody in that. I don't know that 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 drives a cab and say that they can come in and do what I do as a broker. That's kind of like the equivalent of how they used to bring those guys in um, off of off of the, uh, the the basketball teams. Like, they couldn't even get in three-point stands. But, all right, I'm going <laughs> to get off of that right now. What was harder, playing football or doing logistics? Yeah. Um, both are a freaking grind, man. Um, one is more physical. One is more mental. Um, well, football is mental also. But um, hmm, that, that's a tough one. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the competition – with yourself makes it tougher because you, when you're playing football, you know, you're, you're trying to get better, but you can always like look and, and, and see if somebody's in front of you, behind you to measure how you're doing. But when you're starting a logistics company, you really don't have that. You really don't, you really can't measure yourself and say, okay, I'm doing well because of this player next to me. So I would say because of that reason, it's it's a little tougher trying to build a logistics business, especially at the start. And, and it's not like you're in the middle of a stadium and you, when you book a successful load, like the whole like stadium cheers or something. So you don't get you don't even get that positive feedback either. You just gave me an idea, man. So maybe we need to rig that up in the office. <laughs> Every time we book a load, just have the cheer, just have the the crowd going crazy. You gotta have the yeah. cheering so, the bear down cheerleaders. And, 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 then depending on what the rip is, you know, either that was a first down, that was an explosive play, or it was a touchdown. And it depends on that, how loud the the um the crowd cheers. You gotta be innovative, man. You gotta keep these guys, you gotta keep them up, you gotta keep them, you know, because it's it's a grind, man. This is a hard job, it's a tough task every day. Every day it's always something happening. So you gotta keep people in the right frame of mind, keep them positive, keep them upbeat so they can keep going. You know, when rates are down, the, the chatter starts to pick up by truck drivers and they start saying, hey, brokers aren't needed. All they're doing is ripping <laughs> us off. They're taking the loads from us. What's your counterpoint to that? So, Donor, I, I just did a live I just did a live podcast for In the Huddle, and that was my topic. It was 
truck drivers think that we are unnecessary. Here's, here's how I look at it. What we do for the shippers are necessary because we help them out with so many uh, tedious tasks and sometimes complex situations that they don't want to have to deal with. And then for the, the carriers, what we do for them is we continue to provide opportunity for them that they wouldn't go and do for themselves because they're driving. And I'm not talking about the, the big enterprises that have 100, 200, 300, 400, 1,000 trucks. They have the bandwidth. They have the resources to go out and get all that stuff done for themselves. But what people don't understand is that 90% of the trucking companies are 10 trucks or below. So that three truck uh, trucking company can't go to that shipper and say, we want to work with you because that shipper got to do 15 loads a day. You don't have the capacity. So that's why they come to us. So they don't have to call on 15 different companies every day to get their uh, capacity filled with the, with the freight that they have. And then for the carriers, do you want to be the one doing all of this calling, trying to understand where all the loads are at and trying to manage that process? No. But I think doing where it comes down to, I think most, not most truck drivers, the, the truck drivers that complain about brokers, I think they feel like we, we take away from them. Yeah. And they think that they should get the lion's share of the money. And like I said this morning, newsflash, you do get the lion's share of the money. You do get anywhere from 80 to 90% of what we get from our, our um, shippers. You get the lion's share of the money. And also, if they stick to the game plan of, hey, this is how much it costs me to operate my, my truck. And I want to make X amount. Stick to the game plan and only take the loads that's going to get you to your end zone. And, and that's what doing good business is all about, sticking to your game plan. But last, let me say this, Donor. I love the truck drivers. All the truck drivers that I deal with, I mean, I look at them as my partners. I just want the other people, the other drivers to stop complaining. Like my 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 kids, my wife, my family, they know I hate complaining and I hate to see truck drivers complaining when there is an abundance out here um, for everybody to have. What is your best advice to those drivers who feel like they're getting beat up in the market right now? Or maybe even some of those brokers too. What have, what have you learned through this period that you'd tell them? Everybody's getting beat up right now. That's the fight. That's the struggle. And it's the it's the people who like figure out the strategy, figure out, you know, if you if you if you're in the in the ring doing it and you keep getting jabbed and jabbed and jabbed, eventually you got a duck and you got a counter. <laughs> so how are you gonna counter? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do to figure it out? There is always opportunity. Anytime there is a down market. There is an opportunity opportunity in there somewhere. It's just, like I said at the beginning, the people who are willing to embrace the struggle, understand the struggle, figure it out, and figure out what they can do during the struggle, those are the people that's going to win. And that's the advice that I give to brokers and, and carriers alike that's in the struggle right now. Got to take it to heart. They got to take it to heart. Now, we'll tease one of your episodes. We don't have a ton of time to get into it, but you have another episode out, too, and it's about a really interesting topic. It was the immigration uh, laws that are going into Florida, and some drivers are protesting it and boycotting it. My question was, have you seen any impact from that, and do you see this strike uh, potential growing at all there? Um, we haven't seen too much of an impact here in Florida. 
Um, but here's what I I get it. I understand. Hey, you want to stand up for your people? We all do. But when a law is lawful, you know, you, you just gotta go by the law. Like the law say say that you you can't come into the country undocumented. So therefore, it, it's not even about getting a driver's license. It's about you already breaking the law from the beginning. So this is just a, a secondary thing that is enforcing the 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 primary law. So I I I get you 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 want everybody to do well, but again, we talk about winning and, and gaining from uh, gaining and succeeding through struggle. That's the struggle, and some of the some of the things that you have to do to get legal status, I see as dumb. Um, but that's the struggle. And if you want to, if you want to do it and do it the right way and don't have to worry about a law prohibiting you, well, that's the struggle that you got to go through to win. Yeah. You know, it's, it becomes complicated when you talk about a commodity market like trucking, right? Where you're talking about capacity, where the people who are there who did it the right way, who are legal, they they have the rates impacted by this. They have service impacted by this. It can cause trouble with insurance and, and with lawsuits. So it's not like this. It's not an easy answer type of question. But, uh, you know, I think that truckers make a, um, a strong point there. I hope there's so much headwinds going on when we're talking about LTL, the ports and and that, that I don't think we need any more big challenges. But people who need some guidance, they want, to, they want to start following your show, they want to subscribe to it, or they want to use some bear down, where do we send them to? Man, go to YouTube and go to at Desmond Clark 88. That's my YouTube page. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, go, to, go to LinkedIn and find me there too, Desmond Clark. Um, those are the, the two major places to go. I appreciate it if you go there and follow me. We're just getting this show started. And um, hopefully I could drop a few nuggets that get you farther along in your business. Who's your, uh, you're, you're, you've started at this. I'm at 601 episodes now and it's, it's a long, talk about grinds. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you don't like grinds, don't get into podcasting because that's another just grind and a thing where you constantly see your numbers. You always got your baseball card on that one. But who's your dream guest? You can land one guest. They don't even have to be from logistics. Who would you love to have on the show? Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with logistics right now. Like the biggest name that I know on logistics is Von Moore, and I gotta get my guy Von Moore from AIT on. Man, the dude is is unbelievable. He's been a big time help for me anytime I reach out to him. But he's he's unbelievably busy also. Um, but if it wasn't uh, someone from logistics, who would I like to have on? Um, you know what? I gotta reach out to to my, my guy Ray Lewis. We played high school ball together. And he doesn't have anything to do with logistics. But when I talk about keeping people up and keeping people motivated and keeping people inspired, you know, I, I got to get Ray on here or get Eric Thomas on here, man, because I want to just make sure that everybody stay uplifted uh, through this grind that they have to go through every day. Oh, yeah. Put Ray on. Ray could talk about anything for like an hour and you're just going to listen. It doesn't even matter what he's talking about. It doesn't even matter. There'll be something to take away from it. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, best of luck with, with Bear Down, obviously, in the huddle, the brand new show. And I hopefully, hopefully we see Ray on there pretty soon. Yes, sir. Hey, it's not out of the question. All right, man. Take it easy. Best of luck to you. All right. I appreciate take, it, Duna. Take care. And go Bears. I'm not a Bears fan, but hey, go, go, go Bears. I like, Bear, I like Bears fans, even if I'm not a Bears fan myself. I feel like I'm anti-Bears. I just didn't grow up a Bears fan. All right, we got a few last things to show you over here. My buddy Chase, by the way, Chase, getting well soon. He had a big object fall on his arm. He had a bunch of stitches. He's in a sling. He's mending his, his self. He's getting back on his feet, but he still has time to give us tips for buying a truck in 2023. So let's hear him. 
So if you're thinking about buying your own truck and becoming an operator, here's the top things to look for in my opinion. First thing is cost. You're just starting out in business. You don't have a lot of money and nothing will sink an owner operator faster than a truck payment. I recommend getting an old used truck. When I started my trucking company seven years ago, I bought this for $4,000, truck and trailer. This bed truck, $10,000. $10,000, $4,500, $3,000, $5,000, $6,000, $7,000. Once we had some money saved up and some contracts in the bank, then we bought a newer truck. And then another new truck. Honestly, the new trucks kind of sucked anyways. The old ones have been more reliable. But that brings us into point two for what to look for when you're buying a truck starting out. Get something like this, it's easy to work on. Then you don't have to pay a mechanic to do all those things for you. That's why I always recommend the big high hoods. Look how much room I have in here to work. Plus, you get a new truck and every time it throws a code, you got to take it into a dealership. And that's 250 bucks a pop just to diagnose it. Third point, and the most important, make sure you get yourself a truck that looks cool. What's the point of being an owner-operator if you're not in a cool-looking truck? Yeah, hey, would you guys agree with that? Most important thing, or third most important thing? Good looks. Price has to be one of them. Although, you know, just to add an addendum to what he said there, if you don't know how to work on a truck, you're not willing to learn, you might not want, to want one of those old ones uh, so bad. Let's take a look at an accident here. Let's look at these, uh, these two trucks that got clipped. Uh, Francis de Boudrop, he says, just north of my house the other day, driver and van suffering from an extreme case of hoo-ha. 21 and 27 south of Three Hills AB. Winched everything on ramp, scissor next to clear highway. These two slammed into each other. Fortunately, nobody was hurt there. Uh, the van did get pushed into the high boy, and that's where they sat, but um, no serious injuries. No high speed involved either. This is just a dumb accident, he said, with two people turning. Slid into the other one. Looks worse than it is. Let's take a look at some cans, all right? Let's take a look at loading cans in a shipment over here. And what happened here? Should have wrapped those things. Cracker Box Jimmy says, I've hauled a lot of these loads, and the only way to make this happen is to drive like an idiot. You have to turn or brake pretty damn hard to get these pallets to come apart. Silver Fox, he says, could someone just pull the stack? <laughs> just, let, just let it go, right? Just let it run. Keith said, this is something I do. Rarely have any issue at all. It takes a lot to get them to move, honestly. Baffled me at first. Had lots of objections and still have drivers call me one, once loaded asking what the actual F. <laughs> Steve Slagle says, I like my flatbed. I secure. I guarantee it won't move. I don't know how dry van and reefer peeps can haul it and accept responsibility with looking, without looking at every pallet that goes in the trailer. Hazards of the job. Norman Peterson says, hauled my share of cans. Don't remember this happening. Are those units shrink-wrapped? Can't really tell. It doesn't look like they were. And if they were, it looks like they split apart. All right, Tesla Semi's controversial autopilot. I mean, Tesla's regular controversial autopilot versus Semi. Let's see what happens. Slowly started to overtake a semi-truck on Vic's left that was driving a little under the speed limit. Right then, the truck driver decided to move over one lane, merging into the lane where Vic was driving. The driver used his turn signal, but Vic didn't notice because the truck was in his blind spot. Unfortunately, Vic was also in the truck driver's blind spot. The truck hit his Tesla and Vic says Autopilot didn't react to avoid the collision, but Autopilot did sound an alarm when the impact occurred, which alerted him to quickly take over and save the car from spinning out. Vic showed his Tesla cam footage to the state trooper that responded to the accident, proving that Vic had been in his own lane the entire time and that the truck had crashed into him. The truck driver was found to be at fault and received the citation. The repair estimate for the Tesla was 9800 US dollars.
Luckily, the Tesla cam footage made the insurance process simple. Vic has been told it'll take up to a month to receive replacement parts due to supply shortages. <laughs> Somewhere, for some reason, Tesla still always has those supply shortages. And I guess that autopilot, it doesn't, it doesn't know how to maneuver from vehicles coming from the side. That's what I hear. I'm not sure entirely. I haven't actually used the autopilot myself. Maybe you have experience with that. Anyways, hey, look, little weekend dad energy. Let's roll this tape here. Let's let this guy mow his lawn to take us out. No storm too big. No storm too strong to stop dad from mowing the lawn when those weeds need to get whacked. And also, look, it looked like he was almost done. Why would you stop there? Hey, if you like the show, find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find the show at FW at the Chuck. Subscribe to it wherever you get podcasts. Go to Freightways YouTube. Subscribe there. Take care. And don't be a stranger.